are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's message. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for the privilege of standing up here again, and I am so unworthy. I'm so broken. Uh, and so I ask that your spirit would fall fresh upon me um, to encourage your people, Lord, as we get into this a little bit heavier stuff today, but yet stuff that I think will be helpful in equipping this body to better know you and to follow you, and, and if nothing else, to have confidence in the truth of your word. Lord, I, I cannot convince anybody of anything at any time, and so I ask that your spirit would do it through me, a broken man, for the glory of Christ and his name. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. If you guys, if any of you are new or visiting, um, just kind of a, a heads up, what we normally do on, on Sunday mornings at CBC is we open a book of the Bible and we kind of work our way through it and we spend a couple of weeks, months, whatever it takes to get through that. And we will be starting a new book of the Bible in two weeks. We're going to uh, jump into the book of... I'll give you a head start so you guys can start reading it. Usually I don't tell you. We're going to look at the book of James. And so we'll spend a couple months in the book of James um, starting in two weeks. And that week, the first week also, we're going to have a building update because obviously we need one. Um, so, uh, so we'll let you know what's going on with that in, uh, in two weeks when we start James. So just a heads up. But once in a while, there's a periodic need just in our culture, in our church, whatever it is, to kind of address a certain specific issue. And so last week, we started a quick three-week series that we've entitled Lagos, which is the Greek word for word, where we are talking about the word, about the Bible. Um, what is it? What does it say it is? Why do we believe it? Why is it that we do expositional preaching? Why do we start at the book of the Bible and work our way through a book of the Bible almost every week? Why do we do that? It's because of our view of the scripture. Right? And so what we saw last week, William did a great job of explaining that the scripture is literally God-breathed. It's not that God took Paul's hand and said, okay, Paul, to the Corinthians. I mean, he didn't do that. Okay? He, he, using Paul's gifts and his personality, he, he used him to write down his word without error. He did it for all the New Testament writers. It wasn't dictation, listen to what I say and copy it down. He used them to write, and in his word, it is absolutely positively true. Every word, down to the tense of the verb, down to the article, down to the the, every I, every T crossed is inspired and God-breathed, okay? It's infallible, it's true. We looked at that last week. And it's not just true because it says it's true. It's true because it's sourced where? In God. If God is the source of the scripture, then it has to be true because he is truth, right? And so it's an argument from, if he brings the scripture, it has to be true because it is from God. So we looked at that last week. But the question is this then that we must ask because you're gonna hear it. Well, how do we know that we still have the same words that Paul wrote? I mean, after all, it's been 2,000 years since Paul wrote those letters, right? It's been 3,000 plus years since Moses. So how do we know that we have the right words? And, and how do we know we have the right books? Because I've heard about all these other books. And then why is it that we have so many translations? I mean, in this room alone, there's like 65 translations of the Bible, right? 
So why, is, why are all these things true? And so my goal for this morning is to answer a few of those questions for y'all, okay? So it's a little bit different. You're gonna feel, this is not a sermon. It is a sermon. Online, it's gonna be under the sermons. But it's, it's kind of a, more of a lesson. It's gonna be a little bit teaching-oriented. There might be some interaction. I might ask a question. You know, you might, I might, you know, freak you out a little bit. I don't know what's gonna happen here. But I want you to know these things. How did, you, how did the Kim y'alls get that, that copy of the New Testament? How do you have it? All right, how do you get it? And I, can you be certain that it is the really, literally the word of God? Because I don't want us to be to and fro, like Paul says, you know, don't like a wind tossing you. I don't want us to be Christians. That, oh no, there's a new gospel discovered. Oh, the gospel of Obi-Wan Kenobi and it's gonna change everything, right? No, it's not gonna change anything. Right, so I want you to be confident that what you have is truly the word of God. I don't want your faith shaken. I also want you to know what to do with it when you come to a passage and it says at the bottom of the note, many manuscripts don't contain this or say this. And I don't want your kids going off to college and some professor saying, well, what about all the other books of the Bible that aren't in the Bible, huh? huh? And they have no answer to those questions. Or even if someone genuinely just comes up to you and says, you know, what about this? What about Da Vinci Code? And I don't want you to be like, well, the Bible is God's holy word. And that's all you know. That is true. But we want to get, we want to get a little bit beyond that. Okay? We want, to, we want to encourage one another. The church has been so bad for the last 2,000 years of telling you what to believe, but they don't tell you why. They don't give you an apologetic for it. And so we have these people that are just as, and someone brings this, oh, I never thought about that. And they don't know how to deal with it. And so I want you to understand, I want to, it's not just my job to, to you know, come up here and, and spend 45 minutes. I want to equip you. That's our job, to equip you. And the ultimate goal is not, remember this, it's not, information, it's not information. The scripture is not given to you to make you smarter. All scripture is inspired by God as profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness, so that, there's the purpose, the man slash woman of God may be adequate and equipped for what? Every good work. If, it, if it's just a bunch of knowledge and your life is not different, then this is nothing. That's the book of James. We'll get there in a few weeks. And so that's not what we're about. What we're about is because you know God, that you, those kimyals, they're, they're dancing and whistling. And I mean, some of y'all should be bringing your whistles to church, apparently. That's the way it should be. Because you know God. You know what he said. And the, the whole goal of this is not so that you have more information. It's love. We want to be a loving and joyful church. And that doesn't come because I just say, let's be joyful and loving. It doesn't just something we can manipulate or tug at your heartstrings. It comes because you are in close community relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're walking with him and he's speaking to you day by day. And he does that primarily through his word. So we want to give you confidence there. All right? So let us jump in. Right? Here's what our doctrinal statement says. Let me turn this bad boy on because I got lots of slides. And so, hey, this will be online. We're going to move kind of quickly. But so if you need to go back and listen, that's fine. Here's what our doctrinal statement says. And William dealt with mostly the, the second part of the doctrinal statement last week. The Holy Spirit inspired human authors. We're going to deal, with, in the first part anyway, with this first couple you know, this first couple lines. The scriptures are the word of God. Every word in the original writings was inspired by God. Key word there, in the original writings. Okay, every word in the original writings was inspired. Here's, here's, the, here's the idea. There was only one copy of Romans originally. All right, there was only one copy of Colossians and, and Isaiah and 1 Kings and, and all those things. There's only one. And we don't have them anymore. 
right? You can't go to some museum in, in England and find the, the, the gospel of, of uh, Mark. It's not there. It's just, it's just not. It's actually a good thing it's not because if we had them, we'd probably worship them because that's what man does. Anytime God you know, does use a, use a snake on a pole, remember, they end up worshiping it. Gideon's ephod, they end up worshiping it. I mean, that's the nature of man. And so we don't have the originals. So how do we get the Bible? Well, what happened is for two, 3,000 years, what Paul does is he sends a letter to Philippi. Boom, the letter of Philippi gets to Philippi. They copy it down, they copy it down, they copy it down, and they send a copy to Colossae, and they send a copy to this people, and this people, and this people. And then those people get that letter, oh, they copy it down, and they copy it, and they just start passing it around and passing it around. And for 2,000 years almost, up until what, 1450, what happened in 1450? Printing press, there he goes. Then they stopped copying by hand, okay? Because Xerox was invented, right there, okay? <laughs> but that's what happened for that long, Copy, 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 copy. But he's all right. I knew y'all Christians were fake. Don't have any of the originals. Ha ha. Gotcha. Right? Well, well, let me just give you an example why that's not such a big deal. Okay? We saw, many of you saw a movie, National Treasure, right? Benjamin Gates, Mr. Treasure Hunter, he steals the Declaration of Independence, right? What happens if he, oops, we dropped it in the river? All right? All of a sudden, we don't know what the Declaration of Independence says anymore? Are these hold these truths to be self-evident? We don't know if it really said that. Did it really say that? Is that where we're going to go? No, we know what the Declaration of Independence says. Why do we know it? Because we got copies everywhere. I go online. I can go buy a $9.99 at the, at the whatever. We know what it says because we have so many copies. And that is the idea with the New Testament. We have, in the Old Testament, we have so many copies we don't wonder if it says we hold these truths to be self-evident because we know it says that, right? And we can compare and we can look, right? So it's not a big deal that we don't have the originals. But what you're going to see is we don't have the originals of Homer and Iliad and the Odyssey. We don't have the originals of Plato or anything he wrote. We don't have the original Josephus either. But we have far, 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 far more quality and quantity of manuscripts of the scripture than we have of any of those things. And a closer date to the original writings too, the gap between is, is it's almost staggering to the mind as we're going to see. But here's, here's what you're going to hear. Yeah, I know we got copies, but Bill, did it, didn't the guys who copied it, didn't they sometimes make mistakes? I mean, didn't they make, you know, spelling error? Didn't they do that? You know what the answer is? Yep. They did. You're, there's 140,000 words in the New Testament alone. You don't think one of them, oops, I dotted an I wrong. Now, don't spaz out when I say that because some of you say, oh, you don't believe in the word. No, we absolutely believe in the word is true, infallible, perfect, everything down to the jot and tittle. We've, we've said that. But sometimes a guy would copy something and he would misspell something, right? And this is why. Look, look what they're copying. Okay, we're asking the question, why? How do we know the Bible is the same when it was written? This is what they're copying, y'all. Okay, this is, this is an early manuscript. The original Greek is all caps, no spaces. There's no Matthew 1, 3 over here. That's it. Boom. That's what they're copying. The paper is not good paper. All right? This is not something they picked up at Staples. They don't have fine point pens. There's holes. There's bumps sometimes. You know, you can't read. I can't even read my own handwriting half the time, let alone someone else's that I'm copying. So once in a while, they made what was called copyist errors. And these, these are called variants. You're going to hear that term if you kind of read a little bit heavier stuff. All right? They're called variants. There's variants in the original manu- in the manuscripts. And there's, there's thousands of them. 
Right? Most of them are spelling errors, missed a dotted I, things like that. But there's thousands of them. You say, why is there so many variants? Because we have so many manuscripts. There is so many manuscripts. That's why there's so many variants. Okay, and so what the art of putting together the original text, so what it says is, is called text criticism. And these, these really smart dudes much smarter than no Syriac and Aramaic and, and all these, they get all these manuscripts, 25,000 plus manuscripts together, and they know what the original said because this one spelled Mary wrong. I don't know how he spelled Mary wrong, but Mary is spelled right in all 24,000 of these, and this guy spelled it wrong. So they know what the original said because we have so many manuscripts. And what I'm gonna show you is, and most of, the er most of these little copyist errors are like spelling errors, word order switches. Oops, I missed a word because I'm going back and forth. My kinda, I got tired and I skipped a word and I, you know, whatever. I mean, it's those kind of things. In fact, one of the biggest opponents of scripture out there today, who's, this is his area of expertise, his name's Bart Ehrman. Some of you may have read some of his articles or in college, somebody quoted him. He went to Moody and Wheaton, two Bible schools became an agnostic, then went to Princeton, got his PhD, and now he fights tooth and nail to say, this is not true and, the, and there is no God. That's what he does. That's his life's work. He tries to convince Christians that the Bible is not true. But even this man, who is a, not a follower of Jesus, says this, essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants. He says nothing, these spelling errors... Nothing is affected. You're not going to find a verse that says, oh, there's no deity of Christ. You're not going to find something that says there's no virgin birth, that salvation is not by grace through faith. You're not going to find it because it's, it's, these things are so minuscule and so insignificant. It, it's, and we have so many manuscripts. I'm going to show you one of the most difficult ones in the entire New Testament, and it's easy. I'm going to show you what, exactly what happened. And so here's why there's copyist errors, okay? Most of them are called unintentional errors because man's fallen, the printing press is not invented, and so they're copying. And picture it, it's four in the afternoon. You've been copying the scripture for six hours. There's a little candle flickering in the side. There's no coffee, all right? There's no, there's no perk, and there's no anything. You got, you know, you got a glass of dirty, bacteria-infected water sitting by your, you know, and you're, and you're copying on this piece of paper, and you're tired, and you're thinking, oh, what's, I wonder if my wife's cooked, you know, good dinner, and all those things. And there's all these factors in there, and all of a sudden, you come across a letter that you don't know. Right? You're like, is that, a, is that a D or an O? I can't tell. The guy before you wrote bad handwriting, Bill Fowler handwriting. One of the most common errors that you see is mistaken letters. This is huge. Probably 80% of your, your textual variants are just a mistaken letter. I forgot to cross a T. Here's why. I mean, look at this. This is two different Hebrew letters. If you just look at that, first of all, you think it's pi, and it's not pi, okay? <laughs> but the only difference is that little thing there. You're writing on an old piece of paper. What if there's a space in the paper and all of a sudden your pen jumps, right? That's the only difference. What about this one? This is a resh. This is an R in Hebrew. This is a D. This is a dalet, a, a D in Hebrew. You know, the only difference between these two letters is that little thingy bajiggy right there. You know what that's called? Do you know what the official term for that is? A tittle. I'm serious. You know, when Jesus says every jot and tittle is true, he's talking about that. That little thing right there. Now, you try to write the difference there, okay? And you tell me, what if, oh, oops, I made a D instead of an R. That's a variant, and there's thousands of them. What about this? Those of you who are, you know, Mr. Frat Boy, Mr. Tri-Lamb, whatever you are, you know? Um, okay, you got an Omicron. This is an O, and this is a theta. What's the difference? This little line. Well, what if the pen kind of just made a little dot, and you're not sure? You copy a theta, and it's a spelling error. That is... Most of your variants 
Okay, that's why there's variance in the scripture. Big, that's one big reason. Another one is called homophony. Fancy word for saying this. Some words sound the same. If I say there, there, which one are you going to do? Context is going to dictate, right? Same as in Hebrew, in Hebrew and Greek. In fact, what, one of the ways that they would do it is they'd have five scribes copying the scripture. And one guy, they only have one copy of Romans, let's say. And this guy's reading Romans out loud. And while he's reading, all five of these guys are writing. That's, that's called mass producing. That's called Xerox in the third century, right? All right. Five guys writing. He's reading the scripture, blah, 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 blah. And a word sounds the same. And he accidentally copies there instead of there. That's called homophony. Here's a great example of it. This is one of the hardest textual variants in all the New Testament. Right here. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to show you exactly what happened. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you read that in your Bible, most of your translations are going to have a little note at the bottom and say, some manuscripts say, let us have peace, right? Let us have peace. Here's why it happened. Here's the Greek word for we have peace, echomen. Here's the Greek word for let us have peace, echomen. Notice the difference? <laughs> there is no difference when you verbalize it. There's a difference when you speak when you write it, because this is an omega, that's an omicron. But when you read it, there's no difference. So if a guy's copying and the guy says, echo men, blah, 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 he just writes that. And so what you have is in some small manuscript, uh, it says, let us have peace. Since you have been justified by faith, let us have peace. Well, how do we determine, how does the text critic say which one the original is? Number one, because he's got so much other evidence. Number two, the context. Romans 5 is not about how we can get peace. It's because we have peace through faith. And so it's clear, none of your translations go with, let us have peace because it is so evident and clear, because we have so much information, all right? Here's another one called fusion. This, is, this happens all the time. Again, all capital letters, no punctuation, no verse divisions, no nothing. So what does this say? God is now here. What else does it say? God is nowhere. Well, which is it? Okay, you're the text, you're the guy's scribe. You got to break a line. Where are you going to break it? Now, if I tell you this, though, what if I say, the atheist says, which one is it then? God is nowhere. How did I know? Context dictates. That's what the text critic does. Right? It's not hard. So don't be scared. Oh, there's so many variants. Yeah. And this is why. And, and you did it. You did a text criticism right there. Okay? And you never went to seminary. Go figure. Right? All right. Here's another one. Metathis. This is another. This is probably between mistaken letter and this. This is the biggest variance. Someone says Jesus Christ. Someone says Christ Jesus. What's the difference? There's not much theological difference, but there is difference in word order. Or sometimes it says Jesus the Christ. Sometimes it says just Jesus. That is 99% of your, there's, there's your mistakes, supposedly. They're not mistakes, they're just copious errors. Here's one that I can't pronounce, but I'll tell you what it is. All right, this is a common one too. Not as common, but so you're copying back and forth. There's your, you know, boom, boom, boom. The last word in this sentence was church. Church, all right, church. And I come back here and I, and I see church again, but the only problem is there's another church aligned down. But my eyes came off the paper and I just pick up at church. And so I just left out a whole line. And so we have some manuscripts that like leave out a whole sentence. It like picks up in the half and you're like, what in the world happened? Uh, and you see, there's another word right down there. And so they just, but they, again, they have thousands of other manuscripts that have it in there. So they're not worried about it. All right, that, you, that's text criticism right there. Now, really smart dudes do it. I had to do it in seminary. Right, they train you to do it. Um, every seminary in the country does it. It's not just the one I went to. But that, because they want us to know why and how we got our Bible. So unintentional errors happen. Sometimes there are intentional errors where the scribe will actually do something. Here's, here's the most common. He'll update the spelling or the language. 
So if you were born in Bombay in 1969, if you, you would not come to me today and say, I say, where are you born? You would say, you wouldn't say Bombay because you know what? There is no more Bombay. It's now called Mumbai as of 1995. And so sometimes an old, a manuscript, will, the first one will say Bombay, and one that's clearly later will say Mumbai, and you're like, well, what, what city was it? Well, this guy knows that Bombay is not anymore in existence, so this guy changed it a little bit. He made the NIV version of the King James is what he did. And so what the text critic says is, we know this is not original. This is updated. This is the original. Right? So that's what they do. Same thing with this. If you had a science book from 1983, when I was in 3rd, 4th grade, there was nine planets. There was nine planets in our solar system. Somewhere along the line, Pluto got dissed. All right? Now you read the books, there's only eight planets, and Pluto never even made it one time around the sun before it got deplanetized. Okay? <laughs> So, but that's updating the language. So we want to get back to the original, and the original said Pluto was a planet that settled it, right? Okay, that's the idea. So sometimes they would do that, but we know what the original is because we have so many. Another one is harmonization. These guys are memorizing the Bible because they don't have copies, and so they're memorizing it. Sometimes they'll have a passage over here that's so similar over here, and they want to make it sound the same. Let me give you a great example. Ephesians 1 says, And when we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Great verse. Colossians says almost the same thing, except it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It leaves out through his blood. But some manuscripts, kind of in parentheses, will add of the Colossians in his blood. Why? Because Ephesians had it, and they're trying to make them the same. All right? But we know, again, the original is this, because this is a late edition, and we have so many other manuscripts that don't have it. Right. And then there's liturgical editions, and this is a fun one, because these guys are like y'all. They love the Bible. They love their Bibles. They make marks in their Bibles. They write in their Bibles, and some, sometimes you'll see in a, in, a, in, a, in a text, it'll say like, amen, to God be the glory, or you know, whatever. Well, the next guy that comes along, and he sees this note, amen, to God be the glory, and he's thinking, do I copy that, or is that a note? And he copies, amen, to God be the glory, because it was in there. Well, then the next guy after him copies amen. To, so we have all these things that amen and praise Jesus and all these things. And we're like, but the, we, again, we have other manuscripts that don't have it. So we know, okay, this is probably, this guy's excited about John 3.16. And so he's just writing his little stars in his Bible and smiley faces in pink or something else. And everyone else has copied it afterwards. And that's the idea. So that, that's, that is why you have variants. Okay? That's big picture. Right? But doesn't change, it doesn't change anything because, again, understand, we have so many manuscripts. We have so many copies that we know what the original says. And what's really cool is this. We're still discovering new manuscripts every year. In fact, one of my professors from seminary, seminary Dr. Dan Wallace, in the last 10 years alone has discovered 75 new manuscripts of the New Testament. In fact, he, two years ago, discovered the oldest New Testament manuscript ever found dating from the first century, a piece of the Gospel of Mark. All right? Huge. Every year they're finding more and 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 more. The quantity, the quality, and the gap of time written between, the gap of time between the time written and the manuscripts, it is dumbfounding compared to everything else. So how accurate are they really? Here, let me give you an example. Up until the 40s, the oldest copy of the Old Testament that we had was from 900 AD. You think, that's pretty old. But think about this. The last book of the Old Testament was written in 400 BC. It's 1,300 years. The 1,300-year gap between our, new, our best manuscript and the last book. 
right? And so all the liberals will attack, oh, you know, Isaiah is written in the third century after Jesus, and all these things, right? And then some, some shepherds just happened around the mountains in, in Israel, and what did they do? They found a cave, and in that cave was a bunch of scrolls, and they discovered that what's now known as, obviously, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, amongst many other writings, they found copies of the entire Old Testament, except for one book, Esther. They found two copies of Isaiah. Now, everyone was saying Isaiah was 3rd, 4th century AD. All of a sudden, now, oops, we found a copy from 200 BC. Oops, my PhD is useless now, right? Here, in fact, we, you can get online and look at it. Here it is right here. Okay, there it is. That is one of the scrolls from 200 BC of Isaiah, right? And when they compare, here's what's beautiful. When they compared that, written 200 BC, with the one that was written in 900 AD, and they put them up next to each other, do you know what they found? That they were virtually identical. Identical. How well was the word of God transferred from person to person? Almost identical. That's how, that's how careful they were. And we have evidence from so early, from earlier than any other book. Right? We have, okay, this, this, up until Wallace discovered the gospel, the piece of Mark, this was the earliest copy of any scripture. This is called P52. It's a piece of the gospel of John from 125. John was written about 95. So you're talking about 30 years between the original and this. That is huge. That is a, such a small gap of time. This is called P46. All right? This is, uh, you can see right here, if, you're, I mean, if your eyes are super good, it says pros Corinth. That's to the Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians 2. I mean, B is, is 2 Corinthians. This is a second century dated about 170 AD. That's about 100 years after Paul wrote his. And we have that, that, that scroll, the rest of it, contains almost all of Paul's letters. It's leaving out like one or two pieces of a couple. Almost all of Paul's letters are found only 100 years after. Right? This one's called Codex Sinaiticus. It was found in Sinai's uh, monastery, right? It is a book from 330 AD. It's, a, it's the entire Old and New Testament in Greek. The entire. Some of the leaves from the Old Testament have fallen out because it's so old. But we have the entire, less than 250 years from the New Testament being written. An entire book. And we have, y'all, when you put all the math together, all the pieces from the Latin and the Greek and the, you know, the church fathers quote from the Bible over a million times. We have over a million verses just from the church fathers alone. When you put all the evidence together, we have 25,000 plus manuscripts of the New Testament alone. All the pieces together. And compared to everything else in history, you know, with Plato, no one doubts what Plato said. Plato was written 400 BC. The earliest copy we have is 900 AD. 1,300 years. I only have 200 manuscripts. 200. Right? No one says, oh, did Plato really say it? Caesar's Gaelic Wars, written 100 BC. The first copy we have is 1,000 years later, and there's only 250 manuscripts of that. Compared to all the other books in antiquity, all the other, just, just all the other stories out there, here is what um, the classic, this is the average classical work compared to the New Testament. This is how much material we have compared to Plato. And I didn't put this together. I didn't just say, oh, let's add a couple other columns. This was done by Dan Wallace, who is probably the number one or two text critic in all the world. And that's not me saying that. That's the rest of the world. His Greek book is used by seminaries. You don't write a Greek book in, the, in seminaries used unless you're the man. Right? That is the evidence for the New Testament. Manuscript upon man. And it's growing every day. Here's Plato down there. 
So what you see is God has preserved in a magnificent way his word. Why? So that you could know him. So that you could be confident that when it says God so loved the world, you're not like, well, I don't know really if it says that. So when Genesis 1 says in the beginning God created, you can be say, oh, it didn't say in the beginning an explosion happened. That you can be sure that when it says since you have faith in Christ, you've been justified, that you have peace. You can be certain that when he says that whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You can be certain that God has spoken and that you have his words and that the Kimyal tribe has his word, right? You don't have to live in fear. And if, some, and if someone comes up to you and says, oh, the copies are messed up, you know what you say to them? Yeah, but that, those Chester Beatty papyri, those are really impressive. And oh, Codex Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, they're really good. They'll run away. They don't know what you're talking about. Either do you, but they don't either, so they don't know that. I mean, because they've just been given talking points by some professor who's just throwing that out. But you now know at least a little bit, how does this happen? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, homophony, that happened there. Drop some of those words on them, right? Because you don't have to be worried, and you don't have to be fearful that God has not spoken and we have his words. So we know we have the right words. What about the right books? It's another question. Right? Here's, here's kind of what our uh, doctrinal statement says. The 66 books in the canon of the Old and New Testament of the Bible are the foundation of the faith. 66 books, 27 in the New, 39 in the Old, all right? The Protestant canon of Scripture, and what we mean by canon is not we're going to shoot you if you don't believe it. It means just the measuring rod. It's the books that are accepted, okay? Because every year there's a PBS special or a BBC this, well, I saw, you know, there's a new gospel coming out. It's going to rock Christianity to its core. The gospel of Darth Vader's coming, right? You know, so how do we know that the books that we have are the right ones, right? When it comes to the Old Testament, there's not a lot of debate. There's a little bit, but there's not a lot. Um, and I know because some of you, I saw the movie with Forrest Gump running around from the scary church assassins. And, you know, there's the gospel of Thomas and Barnabas and Judas and Philip. And what about all these things, right? How do we know? Well, a couple facts, first of all. Okay, number one is the body of Christ didn't decide the canon. A bunch of guys in funny hats didn't sit around saying, we like this, we don't like this, we like this, we don't like this. That's what you'll hear in Dan Brown or some of these other, you know, Da Vinci Code, whatever. That's not what happened. All right, they didn't just sit around and pick and choose those things which they liked and which they didn't. They recognized what was already being considered authoritative because only God decides the canon. He alone determines the canon. Look, there's other books that Paul, there's other letters that Paul wrote he wrote at least two other letters to the church at Corinth. At least two. We don't know where they are. We don't have them. Why? Because they're not part of the canon. God didn't preserve them. You think Peter only wrote two letters? Big mouthy Peter? Doubtful. All right. But, but the only two that make it into the canon are the ones that God preserves because those are the ones that are scripture. Doesn't mean what he wrote in other places isn't true. It's just it wasn't scripture. So God determines the scripture, man recognized it, and they weren't made authoritative because they were put on a list. They were already considered authoritative, and that's why they were put on the list, all right? So how did the Old Testament, how did they recognize the Old Testament? Look, several factors here, but the only one that really matters for us is this. What scriptures did Jesus use? He's Messiah, he's Lord, so what did he use? And he clearly used the tripartite Scripture is what it's called. There's the Old Testament for the Jew is called, broken into three parts. The law, the prophets, and the writings, or the Psalms. Right? The law was the first five books. The, writing, the prophets were all the prophets and all the historical books. And the Psalms and the writings were all the rest, all the pro, you know, poetry and all those things. Jesus himself says in, in, in Luke 24, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, there's the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. There's the writings. There's a tripartite law. That's what he used. The Jews in that day don't, did not acknowledge anything else. For them, it was 22 books because they combined Ezra and Nehemiah. First and second Kings were not two books. First and second Samuel were not two books. They combined, you know, things like that. But for them, the same canon that we use today. And Jesus, again, in Matthew 23, said this. He, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees about judgment. He says, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel. What book of the Bible was Abel? Genesis. To the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. That story, Zechariah, who was murdered, is in 2 Chronicles, which is the last book of the Hebrew canon. So what Jesus is identifying there is from the beginning, Genesis, to the end, 2 Chronicles, that is going to happen to you. He doesn't acknowledge anything that happens out. And that is significant because that is when the Apocrypha was written in 400 to 100 B.C. And so what about the Apocrypha? What do we do with it? Number one, we, we don't accept it because the Jews of the day didn't accept it as part of their canon. They never did. They acknowledged it as historical writings, but never as scripture. It was never part of their canon. And in 90 AD, when the non-Christian Jews reaffirmed the canon of the Old Testament in the Council of Jamnia, they did not add the Apocrypha. This is not Christian people. This is not. This is the Jews, right? Number two reason that never is quoted in the New Testament is authoritative, like almost every other book where it says it is written or the scriptures say or something like that, never quoted. Never once. Number three reason is because there's errors in it. Historical errors and theological. For instance, where did he get purgatory? The Apocrypha. Where did he get prayer for the dead? The Apocrypha. Where did he get salvation by giving? The Apocrypha. Okay? So there's, there's theological reasons that it's not, it's not in there. And again, the most convincing is that Jesus never uses it. The irony of, of the Apocrypha being in, in, in some of the canons out there is Jerome, who is the one who translated the Greek into the Latin Vulgate, which was the Bible of Rome forever, Jerome did not want to put the, the uh, Apocrypha in there. He called them the doubtful writings, but he was forced to do it anyway. And it was never even canonized in the Roman Catholic Church until the 16th century. You know why? Because of Martin Luther, because of the Reformation came out and said, no, 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 these things are not true. And that is when they made them canon. And so it's never, it's always been debated. It's always been considered secondary writings. And so it is not considered on par with the scripture. Okay. Um, for the New Testament, again, there was no, there's no checklist. There's no 17 things and steps to the canon. How did they identify it? Several things. When it came to the gospels, the, the gospels we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the only gospels from the first century. Gospel of Thomas, it may say Thomas's name on it. It's like fourth century. What they would do back then, if they wanted to deceive, they'd put a fancy name on it so that you would believe it. But Thomas had been dead for 300 years. He was killed in modern-day India as a martyr. Gospel of Barnabas, same thing, fourth century. Mary Magdalene, these are all late. The only gospels that had eyewitnesses were the first century gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only ones, right? And we know that because we have evidence from first century for all these gospels. Mark, now John, second century. So, so, so it was very clear. And, and there's no other, by the way, writings about Christianity from the first century except for the scripture. You know, Josephus is a history, Jewish historian who mentions Christianity, but it's not Jewish writings. The only, the only Christian writings from the first century is this. Everything else is late, 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 late. And so those, that was important to them because there needed to be an, an apostolic umbrella. 
for the books that they acknowledge, which means it had to be written by an apostle or it had to be influenced by an apostle. So Matthew, he's good to go. Why? Because he was Jesus' disciple. Mark, now Mark, he's a punk. He quit on Paul. But Peter came alongside him, and Peter gave him all his information. And so he was linked with Peter. His gospel's in. Luke, he wasn't an apostle. In fact, he was a Gentile probably. But he had Paul. The writer of the Hebrews claims not to be an apostle, but he says, I got all my information from the apostles. Jude is the brother of Jesus. Enough said. All right? <laughs> James is the brother of Jesus. Enough said. Right? All the other writers are apostles. So there had to be an umbrella of the apostles, which, because the apostles saw their message as authoritative. Paul says that you receive the word from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really was, the word of God. They saw their authority. They knew that God had given it to them. Ephesians 2.20, the church was built on the prophets and the foundation of the apostles, right? And so there was authority there because of the apostles. Um, other New Testament books affirmed New Testament books as scripture. Uh, let me give you a great example. This is fun. Second Peter, Peter says this. Peter and Paul, you know, they're kind of like, you know, Billy Graham and so, you know, they're kind of, they're buddies, but I think they kind of had their issues, right? But so Paul, Peter says this about Paul's writing. Go to halfway down. There are some things in Paul's writings, he's talking about, Brother Paul, that are hard to understand. Isn't that great? He says, I don't get that Romans deal. What's up with that, right? But he says, what's the ignorant and unstable twisted or destruction? But notice this line, as they do the other scriptures. What has Peter just done with Paul? He has put him on par with the rest of Scripture. He says what Paul is writing. Now, Peter is writing that he was killed in 65 AD. Peter is, this is probably, first, second Peter is probably written in 61, 62 AD. He is acknowledging that the apostle Paul's writings are, are he's already acknowledging that they're on par with Isaiah early on. Same thing Paul does. Look at this. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He's quoting Deuteronomy. The scripture says, but he also says, and the scripture says, the laborer deserves his wages. Where's that verse found? You're not going to find it in Deuteronomy. You're not going to find it in Joshua. You're not going to find it in Genesis. You know where you're going to find it? Luke. He's quoting Luke. Jesus says, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves wages. Paul is talking about Luke here. He is saying that Luke's gospel is Scripture. So you early on already see these apostles attesting to other people's letters as Scripture. All right? Another test for them was that there was concord, there was unity with the others. There was not some contradiction. For instance, the Gospel of Thomas, it's just whacked out. You can read it. It's crazy. Let me give you a line from this thing. It's crazy. Peter is talking to Jesus, and he says, women are not worthy of life. That sounds real encouraging. <laughs> Jesus says, that's true. Hello. So he responds by saying he's going to make women into men so that they can enter the kingdom of God. Now, does that sound like the gospel to you? And the early church was like, what in the world? Because this was Gnostic craziness and there was not unity. And so they did not acknowledge these things. And then finally, a big one is, another big one is, did the church at large accept the New Testament canon? Did they say, this is, from, this is clearly authoritative. The spirit testifies with our spirit that this is from the God. They believe there was a self-authenticating nature. Why? Because Jesus promised his disciples, my sheep hear my voice and they listen to me. And some of these things are like, that's not the voice of God. But this is. It's just like my dog, Milton the Sanctifier. Okay. <laughs> This Milton the Sanctifier knows my voice, and he listens to me. 
Now, he does not listen to my children, and he does not listen to my wife. But we will go outside. I don't need a leash. I just let him out, and he will stay within 50, 50 yards of me. He'll walk around. When I say come, he comes. If my wife does that, he ends up in Pooler. <laughs> my kids try to take him out. He bolts, but he will not do it to me because Milton knows my voice. That's the early church. They knew the voice of God because the Holy Spirit was in them. And that is why they acknowledged these books early on as authoritative. So you don't have to worry. The gospel of Robin Hood is not showing up anytime soon. Right? We have God's word. The canon is closed. And, and again, I know, that's, I know that's heavy stuff. And you're like, oh, this is crazy. It's my first time I'm ever coming back. Just listen to me. If you, never, if you don't hear anything else, the reason I'm even telling you this is because I love you and I want you to know that God loves you and he wants you to draw near to him. And you can be confident in this book that he has spoken and he wants you to just draw close to him and be intimate with him. And this is what he wants you to know. I love that pastor who was saying, in your time that you have chosen to give your word to, these, to us Kimyals, he has given you his word. Not so that you can fill your head and be an arrogant, pompous jerk, but so that you can love him and so that you can love others. That's why. So that you can have life and have it abundantly. So that you can grow in grace. That's why he has given it to you. So if you hear nothing else today, hear that. God has spoken and he loves you. And he wants you to know him. So that's how we got that's how, how we got it, how we have the right books. Let's, let me answer this question really quickly for you. So then why is there so many daggone translations, right? Really? I mean, there's so many translations. Well, there's, there's a need for it because language changes, first of all. Nobody here is speaking Shakespearean English anymore. The these and nows, I, I don't use them. They used to be part of modern language. The irony of the King James 1611 is that it was the language of the day. But that's, that was like, everybody thought it was, whoa, this is way too easy to read back then. I mean, it was like, now it's like you can't understand it. Why? Because language has changed. Let me give you an example of language has changed. Just in your Bible. If you have the King James, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And when Jesus is walking on water, the disciples see a spirit. Now we're filled with the Father. We have the Trinity as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus walks on water, the disciples think they see a ghost. What's happened in 50 years? Language changed a little bit. Greek is still the same, but the language has changed. And so the reason we have different translations is because each translation has a different translation philosophy. You always lose a little bit when you go from one language to another, whether it's Russian, English, or whatever. And so some translations go with a very, language changes over time, and there's a different philosophy. Some translations go with a very literal word for word, like the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the RSV, King James. These are very word for word. They try to catch as best they can the word for word literalness, word order and stuff. There's, on, this, on this end of the spectrum, you have those who just kind of summarize it. And, you know, periods, and they just kind of like expound and they give you their opinion on it. So the message, the living Bible, the New Living Translation. Right here in the middle is a uh, kind of the thought. Oh, I went the wrong way. Right here in the middle is the NIV kind of a thought for thought. Kind of a, it's kind of a mix. It's kind of a hodgepodge of both. We use here the English Standard Version because I like the literalness of it, but it softens just a little bit the language, you know, it, idioms and stuff. It makes it a little bit more readable. Now, which one's the best? Look, I'm not going to argue with you over your Bible translation. If you use the not inspired version in IV, that's your problem. I mean, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> just kidding. I, you know what? It depends on what you're using it for. If you're trying to study the scripture so that you know as close as you can to the original, 
You know, some of these on the left are the best. If you just want to read, just kind of in a flow, NIV is a great translation. You know, I'm not a big message fan because it gets a little bit too loose for me, but, you know, it has its purpose. I actually, when I study the scripture for preaching, use four or five translations plus the original Greek or Hebrew because I want to know kind of what's out there. Um, and, and, and so whatever's best for you, I don't care. I want you to grow. I want you to love Christ. I want you to have joy. I want you to bring your whistle and your spear to church next Sunday. I mean, that's what I want. Because I want there to be this place to be a joyful place because we know God has spoken because we know he loves us. All right. Now, I know, look, that's, that's a heavy-duty stuff. That's not typical for me because I'm a PE teacher. I get it. But I want you to know that you can have confidence, y'all, in this. It is true. Let God be, be true and every man a liar. And he has spoken. He says, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. That you should long, Peter says, for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow and respect your salvation. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. That, that you would delight in the law of his word, like the psalmist says, that it would be sweet like honey. That you would, that it would be a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. That you would treasure it in your heart so that you might not sin against him. That's our goal. It's not to fill my, your head with information. I know this was heady, but I want it to be hearty because I just want to be, be a church that loves Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we love others. If you have questions, here's what I'm going to do this week. I didn't write a blog this week. I'm, I'm leaving it up to you guys. If you have questions about anything I've said, write it on the back of your Connect card, drop it in the box, and I'll try to get as many as I can this week on the blog. All right, now if you're, you know, if you're asking me about this topic, don't ask me about like if I'm a dispensational premillennialist. I mean, you know, about this topic. Um, and I'll try to answer some of those things in the blog this week um, because I, I, I'm not scared. I've seen the evidence. I don't need to be scared. I'm not fearful. Um, I know what God has said and I know what he's done. And so that'll be an opportunity for some of you if you have questions or if you want to email your questions in, email it to the info line, info at cbcofsavannah.org or mine. You can click on my picture or whatever on that website. So that'll be a place for us to interact and you can check it uh, William did a good job doing a little article this week on his, on his last week's blog, so that'll be there. But again, God has spoken, and thank God he has. He has given us so much revelation of himself. He has given and revealed himself so clearly because he loves you, because he doesn't want you to be lost. He's revealed who he is, what he's done, why we have problems with sin, and the solution Jesus Christ our Savior did. If we believe in him, if we turn and believe in him, we can have eternal life. That's why he's given us his word. Let's stand and let's pray and let's worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and your grace and your word. As we sing, as we worship, as we praise your great name, be exalted, be lifted high. I pray for us as we move forward, Father, with the building and everything else. Give us uh, wisdom and how we should do what you want us to do. For Christ's name's sake, I pray. Amen.